think it brings up this this really important concept that as researchers where do we where what are we responsible for and to what extent so for example if our innovation Mm -hmm. perhaps it's used for something that like technology is used for something that's negative are we responsible for that or is the onus then on the Mm. individuals who are taking that research and using it in a negative way Hello and welcome to Do You Even Science, a podcast where we discuss what's happening in Canadian science and policy. We're your hosts. I'm Dr. Dina Hamza, hashtag Immodest Women, and I have with me Dr. Simon Landry. On today's episode, we discuss the concept of weaponized knowledge. But before diving into this, Simon, welcome back from the Canadian Knowledge Mobilization Forum in Winnipeg. Thanks, Dina. It's good to be back. Um, I just want to say that you sound really good this episode compared to the last five ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, I'm really happy. This is this is what you actually sound like. So I- this is true. So for our listeners, I have finally figured out how to use my mic properly. You can't and be thank you all to time, Simon. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I can't be smart all the time. But today, today you today are. Is the that's day. All that today is the day that I'm smart. Um, and thank you to Simon for being super patient. We still need to post our fight. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was about this technical difficulties. It, exactly. Exactly. Now we surmounted it. So I've redeemed you myself. You have. You have. Um, yeah. So I was in Winnipeg um, last last weekend. And it was for the Canadian Knowledge Mobilization Forum, and um, so Dina, if you if you imagine knowledge mobilization, what was, what do you see? I was just gonna say, like every time, and I know this is like your job descri- description, right? Or your job title mm-hmm. is you're like this head of knowledge mo- mobilization, and what I envision is like an RV, yeah, with like the title of an abstract right on the outside Uh of the RV and a group of researchers in this RV touring Canada and just like jumping out and being like, hey, this is my research and then jumping (laughs) back in. I, it, we've, we've talked about this, this RV thing a few times and well, once, um, and I think it's a great idea. It's it's our idea. What is the date, Simon? Today is... What, the 19th, 18th of June? We're trademarking this idea. It's our idea. There you go. There you go. The Knowledge Mobilization RV. And if there are any, I don't know, uh, RV dealerships listening? Sponsor us. Researchers, if you're interested. The Do You Even Science caravan could be rolling through town. The Do You Even Science tour. Knowledge Mobilization tour. There you go. There you go. And we're joking about this, but there's, it's actually, well, I don't want to say it's actually a really good idea because it's, <laughs> but it, it, the, the idea of, of bringing knowledge to places that aren't uh, cities that have universities is something that I, I find very interesting um, because there are, I don't know, how many universities are there in Canada? Maybe a hundred? I have no idea. Probably a lot. Less than probably less than 150. But you know, Simon, when in our interview with Matt McGraw, BBC mm-hmm. science journalist that we superstar, interviewed, superstar, superstar we're major fans. Mm-hmm. I, re- I recall that you asked him that question in terms of, 
how we share our our science or our research. Yeah. And then if you don't yeah. have opportunities for conferences or um, to participate in, in events, then how would you then share your information with others? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, well, I think the what we had talked about was if you are doing research kind of in the north or something yeah. and you're not necessarily around around journalists mm -hmm. um do you remember what he said i, I think he <laughs> i think he actually glossed over that i don't, I don't think that he had the answer mm -hmm. yeah. i don't think he had the answer because i mean it's like with I, anything like even when we're, we're looking at care of individuals in rural or remote locations i mean even mm -hmm. on that aspect access is so hard yeah so yeah. i don't i don't know maybe it's do you think that the onus is on us as researchers to then go into those areas and share our knowledge and collaborate with other researchers that are in rural remote locations so bringing yeah. like urban to rural or remote? yeah maybe Maybe not um, physically go there, but at least make make the content available or make content that's tailored for for those regions. Mm -hmm. I guess. And there are I forget the name, but there are initiatives that take scientists in, in rural and bring them in, in rural rural regions um, to do to do um, dissemination and, and kind of. I haven't STEM heard of that before. Education. Yeah, there I can. I can try to find the link there. I don't know. Long story short, someone I know did something like that and okay. apparently it was a great uh, That'd a be great a great experience. initiative too. So, you know, the thing too, Simon, is I know you have this, like you tend to use the term knowledge mobilization. Mm -hmm. I tend to use the terms knowledge transfer and exchange. I used to use the terms uh, knowledge translation. Okay. And to me, Knowledge mobilization and knowledge translation sound like they're very one-sided or didactic. Like, mm -hmm. I'm giving you this information. Yeah. Whereas the new term, the KTE, which is knowledge mm -hmm. uh, transfer and exchange, it seems more interactive and collaborative. Mm -hmm. Are those the terms that you're familiar with? Or in the, in the conference that you just came from, were those the terms that were used? Yeah, so every... Every funding body, so in Canada, we have the Tri-Council, so there's SHRC, um, CIHR, and NSERC. And NSERC, yeah. no, CIHR, so for those who aren't familiar with, <laughs> with this this alphabet, what is it, alphabet soup? Is that what you call it when there's just a bunch of letters? Um, CIHR Acronyms? Is the, I don't know. Acronyms are just a big old bunch of acronyms. Um, CIHR is the Canadian Institute's for health research or institute? That's right, for health research, yeah. And yeah. SHRC is the social sciences, and NSERC tends to be the um, engineering. Yeah, so it's the National Council of Engineering Research of Canada, NSERC. And something like that. Something, yeah. Yeah. And I think they do the basic sciences too, don't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, as an aside, this is like we're, we're we're totally veering off path and, and, and we're, we're going to get back on, on topic. But apparently, um, NSERC is, one, uh, is unique in that it's one of the few uh, funding bodies that promotes basic research. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, to go, to go back. Yeah, like, what terms uh, are like you familiar with with this? Like? So the different funding bodies have different terms. Mm-hmm. And so we've talked about this. I think 
Shirk, what is it? Shirk does knowledge translation. Mm. CHR does knowledge transfer and exchange. Transfer and exchange. The KTE. Yeah. And interestingly, NSERC doesn't focus on that. Oh. So there's, yeah, and that's actually a problem that I, I face with my work is that I work with a lot of sort of NSERC fundamental engineering research. Yes. And it's just not part of the culture, even on a, on a funder level. So as part of their requirements, you know, when, when you're applying for mm-hmm. a grant and you're writing the, the proposal and you're saying what types of activities you'll participate in on that KTE or that knowledge trans- yeah. translation component, NSERC wouldn't have that as, as a primary criteria. Criteria? Exactly. I don't think mm. they have that because the point of the research uh, with NSERC is just kind of to do something to, to explore, to, to mm. do that really like pure science, mm-hmm. um, which is unfortunate because I think I think what they could mobilize, you know, maybe maybe ultimately nobody cares about like, uh, I don't know, whether a molecule has a certain weight or I don't know I'm just but I think I it depends they... on who your target audience is so maybe the knowledge translation for somebody with an NSERC grant could be something that would be of interest to somebody in more of the applied sciences but they may not fully understand the technical component or yeah. may not be aware of the technical component I don't know. Well, I think it's that that's actually the the problem is is thinking that it's so technical that only people in the field kind of could relate to it. I think that if you are willing to spend your life uh, investigating a very specific thing, there's something really cool about that question and something yeah. at least like neat that there's a way to communicate that to people so they'd go, "Oh, wow." we don't know that it that's even a question that we can Mm -hmm. ask about our Mm -hmm. world and it really draws you into the scientific process maybe not in a way that you'll apply it to your everyday life right but you might start looking at stuff differently like oh why why is it that water kind of bends when i uh, bring a comb to it yes yeah and so i don't know i think that's it's unfortunate that NSERC doesn't push that kind of curiosity, sharing the the passion of science, which is what's interesting about their research. Well, maybe after, you know, we have so many listeners to this podcast, maybe that might change. Maybe. and Things maybe are we'll always just, changing. Exactly. Maybe the RV uh, Devon Science Tour will, will change that. So at your conference, Simon, what terms mm-hmm. were used? So if it's the Canadian Knowledge Mobilization Forum, then... Yeah. Was that the the general term that was used? So everyone who attended knew that knowledge mobilization is just another way of saying knowledge transfer and exchange or knowledge translation? Yeah, um, everybody kind of, if it starts with knowledge, honestly, they kind of knew what you were trying to get at. Uh, But interestingly, the, the idea of having knowledge something is is a Canadian concept and oh. in the states, yeah, in the states, uh, it's called broader impacts. Which what do you th- what do you think about that broader impacts? Broader of, impact. Yeah. So it would be that somebody, let's say, would conduct research and then they would say, well, what's the broader impact of this? Yeah. And that would be their knowledge translation component. Yeah. Well, it's not called knowledge translation, but yeah. But it would be like that's that's the com- that's the. Um, substitution for those terms is that it yeah, would be broader, exactly. broader impact. Exactly. I don't know. I mean, I I think 
I don't know. I don't know how I feel yeah. about broader impact. What it, if it's it not broader impact? What if it's just, here's what we did and we're simplifying it to you? Mm-hmm. Like how you said, what if it's someone doing basic science and it's one small feature, but you don't, you don't know yet what the broader impact will be because there are all these pieces that mm-hmm. would need to be tried. Like, for example, it's a molecule that you've discovered, and I, I don't know, perhaps it may have an impact on cancer treatment. But yeah. you're not sure about that. You only know this one piece about this molecule. Yeah. So wouldn't knowledge translation or knowledge transfer and exchange really mean that I'm taking this really complex concept and I'm going mm-hmm. to simplify it so that the lay public can understand what this is about, yeah. but that's not necessarily broader impact? Well, so it can be uh, knowledge, let's just call it, on my end I'm gonna call it knowledge mobilization, you can call it knowledge exchange, or knowledge transfer and exchange. Okay. Um, it can involve the, the broader public, but also experts uh, who are policymakers. Right. So I guess with broader impacts, what they're getting at is the science is not only a publication. The science right. kind of, there's something broader. Than I think maybe the idea of like broader impact to me in my mind is mm-hmm. like the, the way that I interpret that is community level. So how mm. would this be implemented to impact the community? And maybe that's where I'm seeing it differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately it's, and that's, that's actually one of the funny things about uh, knowledge mobilization is that there's a lot of kind of semantic discussion mm-hmm. where it's like, should we call it this? Should we call it that? Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately what it is, is let's get people involved. Let's, let's break down these academic barriers and let's get the public, let's get policymakers, let's get everybody sort of in on this, this fun that we're having in science. Yeah, I mean, you did mention something about the conference, which I thought was really interesting, is this mm-hmm. idea of K-Star. Yes, yes. What's that so, about? Uh, so K-Star is uh, K asterisk, and because this is um, an academic discipline, they decided that there were so many different knowledge mobilizers, KT, KMB, KTE, that they were, let's just call it K, then asterisks for for like a wild card like how you would do searches and you just put an asterisk right so it's both more descriptive and less descriptive right <laughs> which is i think fantastic and just so so academic yeah um but i don't i don't think it picked up because it's think that's interesting yeah so the topic for today simon is weaponized knowledge and mm-hmm. you had mentioned that you came across this globe and mail article and when you tried to send it to me it was actually behind a paywall yeah yeah so this was an article that i went out and bought on paper uh like like it's the 1900s over here <laughs> 1900s <laughs> yeah I, wasn't I that, tried. that quite far away simon uh, when we used to you know have the newspaper delivered to our door oh, oh i don't yeah it, it's so funny eh? like it's it feels who, like it was it was that long ago do you do you uh do you read newspapers do you know I used to. Um, actually, no. I, I do read campus, like the, you know, those, the metro, metro mm-hmm. news, which are on campus. 
I like having something that's that's a hard copy. So if I'm mm. really interested in a topic too, or I've I have, for example, screened an article, even a manuscript, um, yeah. online, and it's I you know has piqued my interest, I prefer to print it off and and read it that way. Yeah. I f- I feel like I I understand better when it's a hard copy. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. I yeah. know that there is some research in the way of um, how we in understand material and how that differs from a hard copy rather than reading it on on a computer or on a tablet Mm -hmm. so there is some technology and yeah that we actually activate different brain regions Hmm. um but i prefer the hard copy so i'm quite impressed that you managed to find the globe and mail hard copy and you uh how much was it it was I don't know it was something extravagant like six fifty or something. Really, like that. I remember when yeah. the newspaper was like twenty five cents. Ah, uh, but this. <laughs> I think I just what? dated myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like when were you born? Like the forties? Something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, there there was this article that how is it that I found this? It's just so funny eh, to say like how how do you find. Um, that there's an article in the newspaper that you want to read. I don't know. I think maybe I saw it in like a newspaper box or something. And I was like, this oh, is... Oh, so you actually knew prior to purchasing the newspaper uh-huh. that it had this article. Yes. Oh, I, I thought you just had, had purchased the newspaper oh, for whatever no. reason. And then no. you came across... Oh, okay. I bought a newspaper because of the quality of its content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is such a millennial. I love this conversation because it's just so millennial. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I know what it was. This is, this is like super, nobody will care about this. But I was in Shoppers Drug Mart and I saw the newspaper and I was like, wow, that's interesting. It's about uh, innovation, Canadian innovation policy and um, the colla- the collaboration between industry and academia. Okay. And then I kind of saw the cover and I was like, huh, that's, I'm super Right up interested. our alley. Right up our alley. There you go. Um, but I was going somewhere and I thought, I don't want to carry a big newspaper with me uh, the whole day. And so I, I had to go seek it out uh, on my way home. Okay. But <laughs> so, so now that the, 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 least interesting part of the podcast <laughs> is done. <laughs> um, so the article kind of to, to understand why this is important, you need to, to understand the difference between innovation and invention. Mm. What and is the difference between yeah. the two? Can I, can I tell you what my interpretation please, is? Please, please. Okay. So when I hear the innovation and I hear invention, to me, they're the mm-hmm. same. They're, they're, the overall concept is the same, but that innovation is perhaps something that's not tangible and invention okay. is something that is tangible. So as an example, innovation for me would be like a model of care that I've developed for mental illness mm-hmm. uh, and substance use disorders. And an right. invention would be, I don't know, some kind of um, equipment right? that would, like a, a, an invention would be like a new... Um, like a breathalyzer test. Okay. Or one so of those like ignition a, lock type mm-hmm. breathalyzer tests. So it would be something that, that's like an actual thing. It's tangible right. as the invention. Am I on so the right like track? A, so like a product or a process. Mm. Yes, right. product and process. Okay. Absolutely. So um, that's, that's a really good 
a good guess. Uh, the difference, so <laughs> it's, I don't want to be like, but it's wrong. That's um, okay, Simon. I'm used to you telling me I'm wrong all the time. Okay, perfect. Well, it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so innovation is, is finding stuff. So, or invention, sorry, invention. Invention and is- so in, And so invention could even be something that's not tangible? Yeah, exactly. So when you are developing your model of care, the process, that's invention because it ah. you go from it not existing to it existing. Okay. And then innovation. So this is like a, a whole area of research and I'm not an expert in this field. It's I've just read it. I'm super interested um, by kind of this world. Yeah. So if, if there's an innovation uh, policy expert listening to this and they're rolling their eyes, let us know. Tweet us at D-Y-E-S underscore podcast. podcast. <laughs> and maybe we can actually have like a lesson, like yeah. a teach Dina and Simon. Actually, you know what? Uh, and we'll go, we'll go back, uh, back to where I left off. I spoke with this guy, uh, Graham Moffat, who is the chief scientist over at Interaxon. And okay. Interaxon is... I think they're the they're basically the largest uh, EEG manufacturer in the world. They make have you seen those Muse um, Muse headsets? Yes. Yeah. So he's he's part of the team, and he's okay. really interested in in innovation policy. And uh, so I spoke with him, and I was like, "Hey, we have a podcast, and it's on Canadian That's science and policy." That's our next special guest. There you go. And I I I had I had uh, Matt McGraw lined up as like to drop the name. Yeah. I didn't even have to go there. Wow. That. So there you go. So at some point, hopefully, we're going to have Graham Moffat on the show. And uh, he actually used to be the editor over at Frontiers of Neuroscience. Really? So, yeah, yeah. Really ah, so he's guy. another superstar. He's just, exactly. We're, we're really uh, aiming for the top. But here you know, because DYES, do you even science? is very focused on gender equality. Ah, oh, that's true. This that's would true. have been this would be our second male mm. special guest. I think we need to balance the playing field. I mean, you and I, we've got balance here. And that's you're right. So I you're think right. we need to find a, a female expert. Right, right. Well I can I can <laughs> let you know but that's putting also it out unfair. there. If you yeah. are a woman in science or women in, in STEM and you're a hashtag immodest woman, come and join us on D-Y-E-S. You can join the, the RV tour. Absolutely. So to go back to innovation versus invention, um, invention is when you, you find something, and so through whatever research, and innovation is applying that to, to an existing process, I guess. Or so it's like the real world application would be yeah. the innovation. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So Canada is really good with invention. We, you know, like we talked about earlier, we have a lot of basic research. Mm -hmm. um, we, we have a lot of health research. There's a lot of research going on. We're finding out a lot of things. But the problem comes with the implementation of those things. Okay. So it's almost so, this idea then that we create but then leave it there. We stop at that point. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, kind of stop at that point, or maybe it's other people's come come in, or other companies. Come okay, in okay. So then those researchers would take it forward, but it's mm -hmm. under 
some other company. Yeah. But yeah, wouldn't so that still be within Canada? It, it, uh, it could be, but it, what they were saying this article is that when you're doing, so in, in the article it was uh, G5 or 5, 5G. 5G. Um, 5G network technology, so kind of with That's cell like the phones. cell phone stuff, like 3G, 4G, now this is 5G? Exactly, exactly. Okay. So 5G, I'm, I'm personally super jazzed about 5G. I think I'm actually really excited about it. Um, it's, it will, <laughs> it means that your phone can download stuff super quickly. So you don't um, have to be, we can, we can become a more impatient society. Right. Um, I guess that's the negative side. <laughs> the, <laughs> on the positive, though, is that you don't need to rely on your phone to do processing. So what your does that phone mean, can. So, like, you know how. Imagine you had your computer monitor. Okay. And you could take it anywhere, and it didn't need to be connected to your computer. Oh. Yeah. So, like, that cable is going to be the 5G connection. It's going to be so oh, okay. fast that, like, you'll be able to do stuff on your basically screen and have that information sent to a computer, sent it back. Um, in I think like 15 milliseconds. Anyway, wow. and that's really being and that's being created or or the invention that was done here in Canada. Yeah, I guess key mm. parts of it are being developed here, and uh, and it's like I guess it's super expensive research. Okay. And so the researchers have to do have to collaborate with uh, with industry. Right. Because they're the ones driving that, and in this case. The industry partner is Huawei, so a Chinese company. Okay, yes, yeah. Yeah. So is Huawei, are they competing specifically with Samsung, or is it with all other? Um, I think I think they make phones, so they'd be competing with everybody, but also they, I guess they make like the towers and stuff, so they make the oh. infrastructures. Yeah. So, it's, kinda, so that's, it's, a more, it's a more like holistic type. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they're, company. they're one one of those super massive telecom companies. So that like. means Huawei is the industry partner for the research that's being done in Canada. So yes. what does that mean for that research? Because as I understand it, your industry partner has some rights over what you produce. Yes, exactly. That's, that's a very good understanding of uh, industry academic collaborations. Um, so the, the IP uh, policy in, in a lot of Canadian universities is that the partner gets the, the intellectual property, the patents. So that, so that means that Huawei would have the patent. Right, exactly. And, and so ultimately what that means is you've got a Canadian university that's you know, funded by taxpayers, a Canadian researcher and and their lab, not his. Right. In this case, I yes. think it was a man in the in the thing. Um, their lab. Their lab. Um, and with kind of not necessarily Canadian students, but they've got kind of a Canadian lab that is doing research um, with Huawei. But the the invention, the kind of the thing that they make the new thing that comes out of that research is owned by Huawei. So it seems that it's like all the work, all the input is Canadian. Mm -hmm. The final end product 
is then owned by Huawei, which would then be owned in this case because Huawei is is a company in China that it would be yeah. China that would own this this exactly. end end result. Exactly. And then the issue is that technology will then be sold back to us. Um, and we're going to have to, not only are we paying, we as in the Canadian public, yes. paying for the development, but we're also paying for the actual product. And the money we're paying for it ultimately goes back to another country. So it wouldn't be so much of a problem that we would pay for this new product if it mm -hmm. would go back into Canada. But the you, case is that it would be going into a different country's pocket. Yeah, and and the problem with that, like there's no problem with buying stuff from other countries. We do all the time. Yeah. The, the problem is that this happens all the time in Canada. So. I think your sister, just kind of a, not necessarily a tech example, but yeah. your sister trained in Edmonton, right? Yeah, so she finished yeah. her bachelor's degree, master's degree, and PhD at the University of Alberta, and then was mm -hmm. recruited to the University of Jackson, Mississippi. Right. And while there, she had taken all of her expertise that she had mm -hmm. developed in Canada and mm -hmm. built an apparatus for them, so she, um, she works toward preventing kidney failure. That's her area mm -hmm. of research. And she works with animal models. And she's actually known as one of the key people in Canada that can only do, she's, she's one of the, the only people that can do the specific surgical technique and was That's featured so cool. in like a, one of those visual journals about yeah. techniques that you can conduct. And she was like on the cover of our, of our university magazine. Whoa, like this, yeah, really? she's, yeah she's, she's a, she set the bar really high in our family. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, so she went to Jackson, Mississippi and created this apparatus. And then when her three-year postdoc was over, she essentially left this apparatus with this idea that, she, that mm -hmm. you know, this invention that she had created. And it's the property of the university. And yes, she did receive a salary during mm. her time there. But I mean, that could have been an invention that was created in Canada. Yeah, and, and sold and then that... Because so, now it would be sold yeah. to Canada, but it right. was developed from the skills and the input and taxpayer dollars yeah. for her training when she was in Canada. So I can kind of see what you're talking about in that mm -hmm. we're essentially giving our invention to someone else for them to sell it back to us, but we yeah. don't actually get the profit. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And the, the weaponized part of... of, of this whole concept. Yeah, yeah. What does that mean? Weaponized is, knowledge. Yeah. So, in this case, the the five G technology, um, because in this case uh, it's with with a Chinese company, it will very likely be used in ways that don't necessarily align with the Canadian uh, human. What is it? Hum Charter human of Human Rights, Rights and Freedom. So I guess it's actually the idea that we're not actually clear on how the technology would be used like it could be mm -hmm. used in a positive way but just as it could be used in a positive way it could be used in a, in a way as you said that doesn't align with with our mandate within Canada right yeah and and that's kind of the this tricky uh line that I think researchers need to need to I don't my ESL is showing really bad. I, I forget. It's it's like, how do we navigate that? And I, and I get yeah. what you're saying because of this fine line. It's like, where does our responsibility yeah. stop? Or, or where, like, where, 
what are we responsible for? So I know you had mentioned yeah. specifically that that Huawei has close ties to the Chinese government. Yes. And that from some of your reading that um, there's some ethnic profiling or something yeah. along the, the lines, those lines that are happening yeah. in uh, a specific yeah. region in China. So there's this is for another. Actually, interestingly enough, I think today the the Globe and Mail again uh, published something saying that the Canadian government shouldn't do business with uh, Huawei oh. because I guess um, they're known to uh, do uh, to spy on. Okay, on, on and that was countries. that was today. That came out today. Yeah, I and so the Globe that. and Mail was saying not to do business with Huawei. The, the American intelligence community is, I guess, I don't know how they communicate with the Canadian intelligence community, yes. but they're somehow messaging them or whatever mm -hmm. and saying, hey, this is bad news. Like, okay. we, they, they might uh, try to take the, have access to sensitive information. Mm -hmm. And so Canadian, like Canadians are funding research that is being developed for a foreign company and that foreign company is, we're, we're being told by our allies that mm -hmm. that foreign company could be a national security risk. It seems like we want to critically appraise that. I'm not saying that, that what, what the Americans are saying are wrong, but I yeah. mean, some of the stuff that's coming out of the U.S. is, yeah, well, wow. Uh, I don't know. I, I, yes, I agree. Let's and I critically think the appraise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've got you've got that situation, but you also have um, other collaborations with Huawei. So, for example, mm -hmm. um, with with artificial intelligence and machine mm -hmm. learning, kind of mm -hmm. getting computers to understand uh, video yes. or just kind of to understand content that's created with our phones. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of research on that topic, and Canada is really good at at um, machine learning, artificial intelligence. Yes, yeah, it's true. Our university but, specifically, like I don't know if you've heard uh, about the University of Alberta, but it's a it's a major player in artificial intelligence. Cool. Yeah, we have. Can, it's really strange. Canada has a lot of really big uh, players, yeah. and hopefully, hopefully, we can keep that innovation inside. Well, the that's country, the thing, right? Simon. I I think the idea is that how how do we keep that innovation and yeah. and just going back to the idea of the weaponized knowledge and and perhaps what we create and, and we don't want to single out China specifically or the inter, you know the relationship with Huawei and what's going on with that because I for one mm -hmm. I don't think that I'm really well versed in that in that particular topic mm -hmm. not an expert in that topic but uh, I think it brings up this this really important concept that as researchers where do we where what are we responsible for and to what extent? Yeah. So, for example, if our innovation in this this 5G technology and then mm -hmm. perhaps it's used for something that like technology is used for something that's negative. Yeah. Are we responsible for that? Or is the onus then on the mm. individuals who are taking that research and using it in a negative way? Yeah, because the the researchers ultimately the researchers want money to do their research and they don't really i guess care how it's applied and it's not yeah. their responsibility right um but that's also on the other hand you need you can't be i don't think researchers can be naive 
and research doesn't exist in in a bubble, right? That's right. But do you think that that so let's let's see both sides of the argument. Like mm-hmm. on the one hand, certain fields of research are desperate for funding. Yes. So it's almost as though once you get that funding, are you really going to ask questions about where this money is coming mm-hmm. from or what yeah. this particular funding organization or industry partner or whatever, funding body, yeah. what they're involved with? On the other hand, we're supposed to be responsible individuals. Yeah. And that as we're creating something, we just as we put in our research, you know, Here's the limitations mm-hmm. to our research. This is what it can be applied for and what it can't be applied for. Yeah. That's a level of responsibility right there. Yeah. But you, yeah. What I think do, what, that, like, how do you see that, Simon? Like, like, as a researcher, do you, like, how would you view applying for funding, applying for a grant, and then e- even if you created some kind of product, yeah. Or an invention like your the implants that you were working with for the the hearing yeah. impaired. Like imagine that was used in some kind of unethical way. Yeah. So that funny you should bring up cochlear implants because um, they for and this is this is like a, an entire thing on its own. But the deaf community, so the capital D deaf community, sees cochlear implants as a form. Did you just say of, capital D deaf? Yeah. What does yeah. that mean? It means, um, I don't know, kind of like the way that you would say like capital D French community, like the, not that they're deaf in ability, but deaf as in, as an adjective, I guess. Oh, so it's like a, um, like, like not an acknowledgement. Um, I don't know what to call it, but I've never heard of that before. Yeah. Yeah. So you might. So capital D deaf. Yeah, I don't okay. know if you actually say it, but when it's written, it's capital D. So, okay. um, And so for them, they, they have a culture and they, they have a language and they have, they have uh, yeah, it's a culture. And they um, see cochlear implants as a form of, of cultural um, genocide. Oh, really? Yes, actually, yeah. I could see how that would be interpreted that way. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah, so my research, you know, and this is, unfortunately, it's, it only apply. it doesn't really apply because they're such a small group and they're not as powerful as like China, for example, but I'm sure that they wouldn't want to, to promote research in cochlear implants um, if they knew that it was going to be used to make people, uh, deaf people hearing so then that that group would no longer exist yeah exactly that's really interesting simon yeah what about so what about this um there was this conference and this is more in the the ethical side of things not necessarily uh for funding but there was a conference in uh jerusalem okay an academic conference in jerusalem and the in the in the what do you call it the program mm-hmm. they said Jerusalem is the capital of Israel ah and the it was a mental health conference really and it was cool and um, what else there were no 
there weren't many Palestinian representatives. Mm. So for for those who who don't really know, know what's going on there is that uh, Jerusalem is not tech, is not internationally recognized as the uh, capital of Israel mm-hmm. and it's very much contested. Um, and so by this organization saying that this is the capital of Israel, mm-hmm. um, it's almost like people would, I guess, support this notion that Israel has ownership over Jerusalem. Almost um, by default. Yeah. That, that you, even if you didn't explicitly agree yeah. to it, it's by default that you would be supporting this particular conference. Yeah. And so... Um, it was, I'm being super vague about this and yeah. I hope my story still makes sense. I just don't want to like, yeah, just this isn't a specially touchy topic, super general. So someone mentioned to somebody or asked somebody else about advice on this, like how to, what, what, how do scientists approach the situation? Mm. And the advice given was, uh, this is for science and science politics don't have a place in science. Okay. Essentially, that was kind of the message. What do you think about that? Politics don't politics don't have a place in science. Yeah, that like science is kind of pure, and it's the pursuit of knowledge, and that um, by showing up there, by going there, you kind of share your knowledge to a people that might not be exposed to that kind of high caliber research in the first place, maybe because. But I think politics always plays a role. And, and maybe it's not so much. It almost seems like it would it would determine your popularity. And I'm doing air quotes. Mm-hmm. Your popularity. And, and, and I mean, even like and, and not just politics on a government level, like even the politics within your department, the politics mm-hmm. within your your faculty and then your institution and then your your city. I think all of that plays a role. I don't think science is completely pure. No, I agree. I know that I've experienced politics uh, in the various departments that I've been in. And sometimes Mm -hmm. if you're not with the trend or you're not speaking the same narrative or your narrative doesn't align with what other people, again, air quotes, the heavy hitters in the department, um, that you're not necessarily afforded as many opportunities now when you say politics do you mean kind of like maybe a certain researcher believes uh in a certain model of care and yeah 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 and is pushing yeah their... i think it has to do with that and i i don't think that we can as even when i think of funding bodies and the individuals who review grant applications i think mm-hmm. each person is viewing there's a there's a subjective component to it, even if there's like certain criteria that you have to follow to assess each grant proposal or each grant application, I mm-hmm. think that perhaps this is just my perception. Perhaps each funding body has their own level of politics. Right, right. Hmm. What are your thoughts? I don't know. I and I've been thinking about this for a few years now, and I I don't know what the right way for scientists to approach like. Science is international, mm. and international collaborations thre- strengthens our, our research and all that. Um, but where, where I guess, 
where do your personal political or sort of um, yeah I guess political convictions play in that in in research I don't think it's supposed to play a role I think in an ideal situation I think we are supposed to be neutral but that kind of goes back to uh, I think with the oh there there was something else I wanted to (laughs) to share with you don't let me forget um, to tell you about the thing that I want to tell you before the end of the okay Um, what is it Simon what is it I I don't know I don't know I want I I'm keeping it till the end. I okay. want to start with it, but we'll we'll end with it. Okay. Um, so so yeah, in the episode where we talked about my greatest regrets, yes. I was saying how I wish that my participants were just brains in jars. Yes. And how by thinking of them that way, it prevented me from from seeing a great opportunity for for knowledge mobilization. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if thinking of science sort of as this thing that exists in a bubble if we're if it doesn't but i don't think prevent that's us but, from I, seeing but i don't think that's what i'm i'm from my perspective i don't think that's okay. what i how i see it i think okay. that yes you have to have this holistic picture of what's mm-hmm. going on in the world i agree that science shouldn't be in a right. bubble and and really as researchers we want to be good enough in a lot of different areas that when we do create something or we do develop an invention and then we're moving into innovation it makes sense because we have Mm -hmm. this holistic picture we have this holistic framework and that would include politics right but i think it's the idea that does politics then dictate what we do or are we purely Mm -hmm. investigating and innovating do you know what i mean like Politics would still play a role, perhaps, in the direction we take or the insight into areas for invention. For example, let's say if we have a policy and the policy says, and again, I always bring it back to my own field because that's what I know the best, is that within Canada, the Mental Health Commission of Canada says that, you know, all children and youth, right when they need Uh, mental health support or support for substance use disorders they get access right away Mm -hmm. the reality is 75 percent of of adolescents don't have access to treatment even though this policy is in place so this particular policy to me would then direct how i go about my research to say this is our our policy right now on a political level let's say our government isn't as invested in uh mental health promotion how can i change that mm-hmm. how can you change what the the policy and okay. looking okay. into the holistic picture of this is what our politics this is our okay. political system right now but i think okay. i think what i was getting at simon is that if politics dictates what you research so it's something in their favor mm-hmm I don't know. This is. I don't know, Simon. That's just how I see it. Yeah, yeah. And and if you're listening to this and you're thinking I have an opinion, do do you think politics influences your your research or your work even? Uh, very much so. I my current work a hundred percent. I I am terrified. I'm. This is actually a thing that I 
I, I've thought about a fair bit. So I think that the next uh, Canadian uh, prime minister is going to be conservative. Okay. All they have to do is, honestly, all they have to do is put a woman up there. Mm-hmm. And most people are going to be like, all right, we're done with liberals. NDP is probably not going to get it. And conservative, you know, like mm-hmm. as long as it's not a crazy person. And yeah. also if it's the first Canadian prime minister, that's not Kim Campbell. Yeah. That like can go go the distance. Mm. I would, I would pro- like, I would consider it. Right. Um, and I am worried that when a conservative government will come into power, they're going to look at the funding bodies, mm-hmm. look at what's being funded and say, there is some ridiculous stuff in there. Let's cut funding. Well, actually, reality, you know, that's, that's a yeah. really good point. Mm-hmm. Like here, um, for the conservative party in Alberta, they've been clashing quite a bit with the LGBTQ community. So mm-hmm. I guess that's where this politics comes in. So what if I'm an LGBTQ researcher mm-hmm. and my political party doesn't show actions and approaches with this particular community of being in support of their needs, mm-hmm. then, like you said, would they cut my funding? Yeah, they, they probably would because it's just not a priority and they there yeah. would be austerity measures. Yeah. Um, and so I bring in politics. I keep that in mind all the time that that in, what is it, in like 16 months, we're going to have an election. Yes. And I, I really think that conservatives are going to win, and they're probably going to cut across, sort of cut research funding. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, it will be because scientists have not been going out there and have not been reaching out to people who, well, who vote and who, who uh make things important on the who bring things on the political agenda mm-hmm. and through knowledge mobilization you can share that curiosity that we were talking about at the start yeah you can get people involved if if you can get i'm getting really worked up i i hope the the sound isn't blasting through the headphones it is if <laughs> if you can get people invested in the scientific process to a point where they go, whoa, the world is so beautiful. And I can't believe there are people that are trying to understand what's going on and then sharing these things with us and making us wonder and making us dream. Mm -hmm. If scientists don't do that, then the Canadian public is going to look at this very small privileged group of people that are getting a lot of money. Like research is, is, a lot of money mm-hmm. and they're going to say what are they what have they done for me why are we giving them three billion dollars a year to to do exploratory research who but cares? you know simon so something happened in um kind of the midpoint of my phd mm-hmm. and essentially what had happened was the conservatives um, we, we had the election, and, and prior to that, it was the Conservative Party, and it switched the, over to the NDP. The provincial? This was in Alberta, yes. Okay. So it had, had switched over to NDP. And the idea was that the NB, NDP was quite focused on health me- measures 
and that mm. our and and we had been promised in my particular project which was that school-based intervention it was across an entire school district that that was at risk so okay. this one school district the year before had six students die by suicide oh, wow. and so we came in for students in grades 6 to 12 screened over 6400 students and we did that for a year and a half then this election happened we were promised by the conservative party that we would have another 1.5 million dollars which would carry mm -hmm. the program for another year year and a half switched over to the NDP with the provin provincial election and then our funding was it was terminated like just cut oh yeah on the spot hmm. and that was shocking for people because people thought that what we were doing as researchers would actually align really well with the NDP's mandate yeah. so I don't know I don't know if that you know, like, how do we know what a political party is going to cut even if it seems like yeah. my research aligns with this like for example maybe my research aligns with the lgbtq community and let's say it becomes the conservative government yeah but you know my funding isn't cut then what does that mean it's almost like how are these decisions made yeah i don't know i don't know maybe we we should get we actually we should get a policymaker mm -hmm. on the show we should yeah yeah We'll look into that. But this was really interesting, um, Simon. And I don't know how else, like, you know, bringing it back to how Huawei is the industry partner. I mm -hmm. wonder if there's some way that we can still collaborate with other countries, because I think that's very important. Well, and, and this is, I'm going to leave this as, it's unfortunate we can't go into this topic, but Canada was actually uh, funding... Um, killer drones, research in killer drones. So these are really? drones. Yeah, drones that are automated um, to go out, identify targets, and terminate them. And mm. this this prof, uh, he does, I think, ethics research at the University of Ottawa, and he campaigned against it because this was research that was being used to, to kill people. So it's the idea of... Is it that it's ethical research that's used for unethical reasons? Yeah. Or is well, it, it or is it set up that this is really unethical from from the get go? I'm sure the components because it, you you don't just build a, a drone that can ad identify targets. So I'm sure the components were all very ethical. interesting and useful research, right? But mm -hmm. when you put it together, yeah. and the idea obviously the problem with with the killer drones is that there's no accountability. And that was kind of what it came down to. That so no that if this drone had killed someone, yeah. But who it sent was, it out? Wouldn't the person who's accountable the person who sent it out? But it it maybe, but it takes that decision based on programming. So oh, maybe it's okay. the coder that you know, and and because yes. it's it's a and then who, team, where so. and then where does the responsibility lie? Yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, yeah, so there's there's definitely a lot to think about when it comes to research and accountability and mm -hmm. and weaponized knowledge. Um, well, but you know, Simon, I wanted to know your take on where and and we did touch on this earlier, but yeah, where does our responsibility end? Like, at one hmm. what point do we say, you know, hands up? What somebody does with this after is not my problem. Yeah. Or I'm not responsible for it. 
I think that's probably, honestly, it probably is beyond uh, the researcher level. It's probably policy level. I'd say, like, I think the Canadian government um, should, I don't know, but then, like, should they have oversight? Mm-hmm. Um, should they be able to control what people do? And then probably, that goes into if it's if it's appropriately implemented versus some, you know, a government yeah. that doesn't implement that appropriately. Yeah. Hmm. These are, this this is really good insight, Simon. Yeah, it's, it's... I think we've come up with more questions than answers this <laughs> yeah. episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to our audience, what are your thoughts on how innovation within Canada is used abroad? Who do you think is responsible for keeping Canadian innovation in-house? And really, where does the researcher role start and end? Tweet us at D-Y-E-S underscore podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Oh, Simon, I just remembered that I was supposed to remind you to tell me something important. What was it? Yes, thank you, Dina. Um, So yesterday, I had a couple minutes and I started writing my newsletter to my participants. I did, I actually did, I actually did. I'm so proud of you, Simon. Yeah, so. (laughs) Was it hard? No, it's super easy. Turns out you just take the figures from uh, from my uh, thesis uh, presentation. No, I mean from like an emotional level that you're going oh. to be creating this newsletter yeah. for participants that you worked with six years ago. Well, I couldn't find. Uh, I mean, full disclosure, I couldn't find my uh, master's participants. Okay. So it's the, all the participants from my from my PhD. Okay. But you know, it's something. Better. It's something. It's, something. it's a start. It's a start. Yeah. I'm really proud so, of you. Are you going to share this you. newsletter with us? Of course, without any identifying information of, of who you're going to send it to. But yeah. will you share yeah. it with us? Sure, I'd love to. How about the, the feeling of regret and like this burden that's... It, that, it starts off with a pretty heavy paragraph. So I might yeah. actually cut that out. But yeah. Um, yeah. Is it like an apology? It starts off pretty apologetic, but I will probably cut that because it's, hmm. you know... But yeah, it's actually really fun. It's it. We it's can you can a, post it. Yeah, we can we can make a couple of versions and we'll mm-hmm. post it and we'll let our listeners <laughs> yeah, take exactly. a poll. Exactly, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that would good be a idea, lot Dana. of fun. Yeah, so I think I think um, I th- I hope that other researchers will hear this podcast and if they have promised to their participants that they would follow up with them, which we normally do in our in mm-hmm. our informed mm-hmm. consent, like we tend to all have that that blurb. Mm-hmm. That they'll, you know, do what you're doing and backtrack. I hope so. I hope so too. So Simon, on our next episode, hashtag immodest women. I'm an immodest Ooh. woman. So from here on out, Simon, you're going to refer to me as Dr. Dina Hamza. <laughs> okay, Dr. <laughs> Dina Hamza. Until next time, Simon. Until next time, Dr. Dina Hamza. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.